Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Revel Upheaval. FSB dismantles hacking group at the behest of a US request. Next up, this apple tastes malicious, a browser-based vulnerability. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 109, recorded on January 24th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, punstress in distress, LaBelle, with me co-host him, revealing in schadenfreude, Helming, and last but not least, Taylor, socially distance your IndexedDB data six tabs apart, Wilkes Pierce. Hi, everyone. Hello. Kelsey, you're a punstress in distress. I hope not. <laughs> is, there, is there something we can do for you? Something I mean, must crowd, have been happening when I wrote that. I can't remember why I was distressed. Or if we just some kind of uh, fix from the, from the listenership. <laughs> you need Tom Hanks <laughs> to come in and fix, fix things for you? Maybe I'll just start sharing all of my <laughs> the co-host names I come up with for myself to my therapist and see if she can make something of it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's a secret message in there somewhere that I'm not able to uh, to understand, but I'm sure she's on it. <laughs> also, I have to say, from one of those uh, one of those puns in the intro, this apple tastes malicious. I am forever from now on going to re- refer to a specific variety of apple as the red malicious <laughs> because I can't stand them, and that's just that's just what they are. You know what's interesting about the apple market? I feel like they're always coming up with new new apples, the fruit. It's a little crazy. Like the cosmic apple? Boy, yeah, that one came to mind crisp. for me. Yeah, they did a big, huge marketing campaign on that. You, you have, have either of you had one of those? Absolutely. It's an apple. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's red, it round, it's round, it goes crunch, it tastes like an apple. It's, I mean, they're pretty good, but, you know, they're not a red <laughs> malicious, so we'll give them that. Yeah, I think they should start uh, the next. The next one should be called PC. You know, oh, be like I'm not that, really a, an Apple person. I would like that. Right. Yeah, there's something there. Yeah. Do I think... will say the Honey Crisp is pretty good, though. Mm. That's a pretty darn decent apple. Yeah. Do you think there's someone in those marketing meetings every time it's like, "How about them apples?" Like, I just don't. How does this keep happening? <laughs> <laughs> and oh. does that person get fired or promoted? That's a good question. Does Granny Smith work there? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. She must have back in the She's got to be on the team. <laughs> that marketing team. Oh, and then um Tim, I'm assuming that was some German in your title. What can you, you know, translate for us? Yes, for those of you not familiar with this particular term Schadenfreude. It's in the in the wonderful German tradition of creating a multi-syllable word for a specific thing that in every other language just has to be described with a bunch of other words. Uh, Schadenfreude is where you are feeling good about the misfortunes of others. Schaden is misfortune or unhappiness and Freude is happiness. And so 
Yeah, that's what it is. And the Germans, they, you know, they come up with a bunch of these. I'm terrible at examples, so I can't, I can't give you another one right at this moment. But this is something the German language is rightly famous for, these, uh, these wonderful words that describe a very specific thing. And a lot of them are emotions. So there you go. German lesson for today complete. The more you know. Um, yes, that's fascinating. I wonder if Freud is rolling around in his grave about being associated with happiness. That seems very unlike him. Well, I'm sure he has a few thoughts about it. He's, <laughs> he's lying on the big couch in the sky somewhere. <laughs> the tables have been turned. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, shall we talk about what is a, a pretty big week in news, especially on the Revil front? Yes. Yeah, let's do that. Sorry, <laughs> reaching for a mute. No, you're all good. You're all good. <laughs> Folks, you know, doing a podcast like this is is really just like being on Zoom. You know, there Except goes long pauses while somebody's reaching for the mute button. <laughs> we can't even see each other's faces when we do this. I don't know if that's clear to our audience. So this is just all all our vocal communication, audio only. Um, yep. <laughs> That way, Taylor and um, Tim don't have to see the the stupid face I make when I make a joke. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it helps save them from that. Kelsey, we did used to record this in a studio together. Well, that's Correct. true. We had to stare across a table at one another in the in the white padded room that supposedly was for noise cancellation. But I still true have story. my concerns. It, it is a white padded <laughs> room. That's right. All right. So, Revil Upheaval. There has been significant activity in these past couple of weeks surrounding Ukraine and Russia. And in parallel, Revil, which is a ransomware group likely based in Russia, was quote-unquote dismantled by the FSB. So there's a lot of activity, especially in the, the geopolitical space right now. And I think it's always critical to look at security, not as if it's in a vacuum, but it's it's got context. So um, that's that's what makes this a little bit unique. And so what, Tim, for starters, is happening right now with Russia and Ukraine? What is the state of affairs? Well, I'll try to put this succinctly, but that is tricky with geopolitics, isn't it? So, of course, I suspect that if, if anyone is just hearing about the tensions at Ukraine's eastern border from this podcast, they really need to reevaluate their choices of news sources. But having said that, uh, there have been some interesting developments over the weekend. The one that stood out to me, by the way, was that Britain made an unusual move by revealing intelligence that would normally not be made public. And that intelligence uh, was that Moscow allegedly has a plan in, uh, to install a pro-Moscow leader in Kiev. Now, naturally, when that was uh, revealed over the weekend, the Russians denied it, of course. But, you know, it seems very plausible. And then just today, we saw a story about the trains in Belarus exhibiting some decidedly un-Swiss behavior. You know, the Swiss are supposedly famous for keeping all those railroads, uh, all those trains on time. Anyway, the Belarus trains are getting delayed and stopped due to an apparent hack of signaling systems. And so... Why do we care about trains in Belarus? Well, guess what they're carrying? Russian troops and armor in the direction of, you guessed it, Ukraine. Now, of course, there's the question of whether all of this is mainly posturing or whether there's really an invasion and takeover that's about to happen here. So 
I assume, probably wrongly, but who knows, uh, that Putin knows Biden's popularity is not high and that the Democratic Party is in peril in 2022. Well, he, he does know. I'm sure that he knows that. But uh, the part that I'm assuming possibly wrongly here is that if he can create a political nightmare for the Biden administration and its supporters by putting them in a no-win situation with respect to Ukraine, well, that's likely to hurt them in the midterm elections. And we saw in the last administration a curiously deferential posture toward Russia. So the thinking here is probably that if the Republicans return to power, then things like sanctions and other tough stance policies are going to relax. So overall, Kelsey, it's just a rollicking good mess. Woof. Yeah, and thanks for bringing the news from the weekend into the to the conversation, Tim. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun weekend geopolitically, wasn't it? Mm. Yes, indeed. Taylor, I see you've unmuted yourself. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's funny because it does feel like um, I think it should be stated that Russia invaded Ukraine already in 2014, took Crimea, parts of the you're right. I should say the northern a new parts invasion. of it. Yeah, 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 more like a continuation. Yeah, yeah. Again, not a not a foreign policy expert over here, but <laughs> I, I do recall that. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like a pretty expensive exercise to move all that stuff there. And, and I'm assuming that uh, when the UK leaked the the plans to install a pro Moscow leader in Kiev, they, they meant through like a very free and fair election, right? Like that. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Of, yeah. course. of course, <laughs> that would be the natural choice that the people of Ukraine would make. We we For all sure. know that. <laughs> well, Tim, now shifting back the focus to Revol, what is the news that came out in parallel to to these shifts regarding their uh, dismantling by the FSB? Right. And so, by the way, for everybody's sort of cheat sheet, the FSB is uh, sort of the equivalent in Russia of the FBI. And so this was kind of puzzling news, don't you think? So the basic story here is that the FSB arrested key members of the Revil ransomware gang a couple of weeks ago. And in fact, I'm putting it more mildly than the stories go. They basically say that Revil was quote unquote taken down. And for those of you not reading this podcast, yeah, I put that in quotes. Skeptical much? Yes. Amaze. Wow. Much skeptic. But anyway, uh, on at least a superficial level, this looks like a rare instance of U.S.-Russian cooperation. Uh, I've read some speculation that it is perhaps designed to lessen the impact of the whole Ukraine thing by balancing it with doing us a solid. I don't buy that. But there we have it. Yes. Let me look in the back of my um, five-star binder and see how many invasions translate to how many dismantling of ransomware groups? Um, I'd say it's probably at least a, a one to, to three or four um, in terms of currency there. I, I would say <laughs> that the two sides probably have different ratios that they use for that. <laughs> That's completely fair. Um, you know, Russia's <laughs> going to be like, yeah, one uh, ransomware gang takedown is going to buy uh, three ignored invasions. And the U.S. <laughs> is going to be like, you're going to have to take down three ransomware gangs before we're going <laughs> to ignore one invasion or re-invasion, as Taylor uh, rightly points out. Yeah. Ooh, so what are the FSB's motivations 
for targeting Revol. In fact, I mean that that builds to some degree on your your skepticism there. And then, what is the ransomware group known for? What's their MO? Right. So you may recall a certain pipeline that was shut down last May. Colonial, ring a bell. Yeah, that was Revol. Uh, they infected the business side of Colonial's ops. And while there wasn't any evidence that the OT or operational technology side of Colonial was infected, they shut it down uh, out of an abundance of caution, which was a big pain in the butt for a whole lot of people, but it was also generally seen as the right thing to do in that context. So anyway, while I doubt that the FSB shed a lot of tears over the problems that the Colonial Pipeline shutdown caused, it did make this apparent takedown a bigger deal than it might have been if they'd just been doing the usual nice things, you know, just taking out hospitals or towns or corporations. But really, I think that your question gets at the mystery of this thing. And the fundamental answer is that I don't know what their actual motivations are, regardless of the public statements and whatnot. Uh, Everyone knows that a lot of ransomware gangs are, if not directly overseen by the SVR, and that's kind of Russia's CIA, then at least there's a wink and nod relationship. So making this arrest or this series of arrests um, and seizures of assets and whatnot is is kind of like busting one of your friends at the behest of your enemy. But I don't know, you know, maybe someone high up in Revil was getting attitude toward their handlers. Could be. Or potentially, we know it's very difficult. Uh, InfoSec is tough to recruit for. Potentially, maybe they just needed another uh, another ground of folks to come in and work for them. There you go. You are not on red team anymore. You are on blue team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting recruiting tactic. Mm, yeah. <laughs> can just re- imagine that uh, LinkedIn recruiter DM there, how that all began. Do they have LinkedIn there? <laughs> I don't know if that makes it through. So what do you got to do? Um, well, Tim, what do we know about the raid and these accused Revil operators? Well, according to Reuters, and I'm just going to go ahead and quote here, uh, quote, a police and FSB operation searched 25 addresses detaining 14 people, the F- SFB said, uh, listing assets it has seized, including 426 million rubles, which is uh, about 600,000 US or 500,000 euros, Actually, you know that's probably not a uh, that's probably not a uh, an exchange rate. That's probably like uh, they got rubles and U.S. dollars and euros. Anyway, they snagged all of that as well as computer equipment and twenty luxury cars. End quote. Oh, that wasn't all a quote. I added some stuff in there. Anyway, they named two of the people arrested. So if any of you know Roman Muromsky and Andre Besanov, well. You're going to have a harder time sending them care packages these days, at least for a while. But I couldn't find a lot of evidence in the reporting I've read uh, to indicate that Muromsky and Besanov were specifically leaders or even very key members of the gang. So Muromsky sounds, according to a source that was interviewed by Reuters, like a guy who lives a fairly modest life. I don't know. Maybe he just leaves the Lambos parked in Monte Carlo and maintains cover as a regular guy in Moscow. Uh, And then you have the statement by the FSB that, quote, the criminal organization has ceased to exist. Uh, If there's one thing we know about these ransomware gangs, it's that they're like hydras, you know, cut off one head, 
Another one takes its place pretty quickly. Of course, now this might force a rebranding, so all that Revil swag you bought uh, might become more valuable in 10 years. The coffee mugs, I think, in particular. <laughs> They'll put the mug shirts uh, on them? Yeah, and the flashlights, the LED flashlights, always, always popular. <laughs> the the Revil thumb drives, I hear, are uh, not to be missed. <laughs> Mostly found in parking lots. Um, well, do you think they'd rebrand to Revil? Oh, what a good point. Have they are were there vol at first? Is this the second rebrand? Have we missed an entire subset of this ransomware group's time? We're gonna have to go back and probably do a, a special edition of uh, Breaking Badness to answer those questions. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh well, Tim, what are you seeing in the old infosec water cooler talk on this topic? I'm sure that Twitter was. <laughs> A Twitter ablaze with uh, with opinions and suggestions as to what this all means and adds up to. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think mainly the same kind of skepticism that I described earlier. If there's one group that really does believe that if something looks too good to be true, then it probably ain't true. That's InfoSec. So what we're expecting really is pretty soon we'll see more activity from either Revil itself or from some rebranded thing. Or who knows, maybe the detainees were released or we just never hear anything again from the FSB about this, but the ransomware keeps going, et cetera. So, you know, from a defender's point of view, nothing has changed. Really not much has changed. Um, I think we'll have to keep an eye on what happens here, but mainly from the perspective of just curiosity, you know, geopolitical interest, schadenfreude, which could be misplaced, you know, depending on what the ultimate fate of these actors really is and not as an operational difference maker. So I think basically you'll just want to be keeping up with Joe Slowick's memes if you want to get the crib notes on this. <laughs> Very well said. No one memes like Joe. Um, <laughs> and Tim, your comments there lead quite well into our hoodie rating. Um, and for our new listeners, or if you've forgotten, this rating scale is from, or this scale, this rating scale specifically, um, is from zero to 10 hoodies um, as the cliche there for a defender or hacker associated with the hoodie. Um, 10 is very bad. Zero is, is neutral or barely notable. I know I tied together the geopolitical uh, current events with Ukraine, let's separate those out for the hoodies and focus specifically on this quote-unquote dismantling of Revil. And Taylor, I'll go ahead and start with you. Yeah, you know, I think like y'all have mentioned, uh, the propensity for these groups to act like a hydra and get, have one head lopped off and, and have 10 more pop up is, yeah, I, is from a defender side, this this may not impact us a ton. Um you know, in taken in conjunction with like the rest of the events that are happening in the region. Uh, like if you're in Ukraine right now, if you're in Kiev, it's probably 10 out of 10 hoodies, right? Um, like all that other stuff uh, for us here in InfoSec land. Um, you know, I it is it's interesting. I, you know, I'll go like four and a half hoodies, four, four hoodies and a, and a half a hoodie. Indeed, you're not more concerned about the retribution of some cyber criminals not having their Lambos 
<laughs> I think that uh, might escalate things. <laughs> they're going to be madder about all the swag that they bought that they have to like rebuild. Jeez, oh, they're going to have it for Black Hat and everything. What were they thinking? What about you, Tim? Well, so you know, if uh, if I weren't so skeptical, I would put this on the goodies scale, and I will put it on the goodies scale rather than the hoodies, kind of the inverse, right? So it's. On the face of it, it's a good thing when you see operators of a ransomware gang go behind bars. Um, so if I if I really bought into this whole thing, I'd say it's like seven or eight goodies. But I'm so skeptical that I'll still keep it on the goodie side. But I don't know. I'm going to give it like two goodies. And sorry if that's just uh, stingy of me, but that's kind of where I see it. No, that that tracks. And like you're both saying, it'll be very interesting to keep an eye on this story as other things unfold as well. So thanks for your thoughts and analysis there, Tim. And we'll continue to check back on this topic of discussion. Uh, But next up, we have this Apple tastes malicious. So a security vulnerability has come to light in Apple's browsers for macOS, iOS, and iPadOS based on research conducted by Fingerprint.js. So Taylor, let's start with uh, this bug or vulnerability. What is it exactly, and uh, what 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 are they finding here? Yeah, for sure. So the fingerprint JS team, it's kind of interesting that they're the ones that are publishing about this, uh, as, as they work to help kind of identify users and fingerprint users. Um, but <laughs> I guess it's neither here nor there. But they discovered that in uh, the Safari. WebKit implementation of something called IndexedDB, which is a browser standard introduced in Safari in like 2014 and and in the other browsers in a similar time frame uh, that allows uh, a, a website to store kind of JSON data in a in a database there for a user. Um, what they discovered and the the whole idea behind IndexedDB is that this is individual that that um it's has something called like same origin policy where you know you can only view uh index dbs that are from your origin uh, from your domain um so you can't see other stuff well what they discovered was that uh safari and in their webkit implementation of this standard they create uh shadow copies of the directory names for any created index db indexed db database <laughs> Uh, you know, for all any like website that you might visit that, that creates one. Um, and you as a website can view the other folder names uh, that have been uh, created for the indexed DBs for those websites. Oof. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> in Safari 15 on Mac OS and in all browsers on iOS and iPad iOS 15, the indexed DB API is violating that 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 policy. Well, how could this vulnerability be exploited then, theoretically? Yeah, and it's not even theoretical. They've got uh, a website you can go to, if you have Safari, you can go to uh, safarileaks.com and, and take a look at it. So this is um, you know, not, not even theoretical, but a malicious domain if, if it's utilizing uh, this kind of data leakage. Uh, when visited, can view the folders of the other index DBs. Uh, for other websites um, on, on other tabs and, and such. I was really hoping it would just be a website with a picture of a bunch of leeks, as in the vegetables. Is that not? No such luck. No. <sighs> <Son of> a- <laughs> 
So when when exploited, as it has been shown to have been exploited, what kinds of things could these malicious actors yeah. accomplish? So one thing I think it's important to state up front is what what this isn't, right? So you're not able to view the contents of the indexed indexed DB uh, database file. Like this. You're not getting at any of that. You can see the the folders, so you can infer their existence, uh, but you can't. It's 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 not like a you know you're getting passwords out of them or anything like that. So you know I want to set the scope of that appropriately. Now there are some uh, interesting. <laughs> Website uh, index DB naming uh, conventions that have been chosen by uh, uh, folks like Google and then maybe anyone else that, that uses a unique identifier for Google when they create an index DB in Safari uh, for you as a user, they append your uh, unique Google ID to the folder name. Uh, so a malicious site can kind of view your Google uh, unique user ID. They can then ping the Google API with that to pull down your avatar that's associated with that unique ID. Um, so they can kind of de-anonymize you even further. So what they can do is kind of figure out wh where else you go on the web. Uh, and then if those websites are using any unique identifiers or UUIDs or uh, you know, Google, like user IDs, uh, you can pull those as well from the directory names. So what then could be accomplished by cyber criminals or those with less than um, <clears throat> kind intentions? With this well, yeah, you know, it's an it's uh, an easy way to start uh, uniquely identifying uh, a potential victim. So the de-anonymization of a user here is really what what can be at risk. Uh, so that that's the main one there. But then again, when you have these sites that use unique IDs and then offer up APIs that you can feed those unique IDs to to get even more information, uh, you know, you can start to build a fuller picture of uh, who's visiting your your site, your malicious site? The malicious site. Okay. Well, what what's the scope, Taylor? Has this research team identified how the the how much impact there's been based on this exploit? Yeah, so they checked the homepages of the Alexa's top 1,000 most visited websites, and they picked up 30 websites that interact with index databases directly on the homepage, no user interaction or any authentication. So as soon as you go there, it spins up an indexed DB database. Uh, you know, the, there may be uh, like more out there as you log in and, and you know, other things are created. Uh, you know, that, that <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it at least of the the busiest stuff, it, there's there's a fair amount there. So like Alibaba.com, Bloomberg. Let's see, I'm just reading ComputerWorld.com. Obviously, Google, Netflix, um, RollingStone.com, Stitcher.com. So oh yeah, WhatsApp, Xbox, YouTube, all that good stuff. Twitter, yeah. So just just a few, just a just few a spots. Few. <laughs> <laughs> what can one do about that? Can you protect yourself as an organization or as a human? Yeah, well, here's the neat part. Uh, you can't. No. Uh, <laughs> if you are using, uh, if you are running on a Mac, Mac OS, uh, you have the option of using Chrome or Edge or Firefox. And there's a real good chance that you are doing so already. Um, you know, again, Safari is the native browser and it gets kind of patched along with the OS and it's tied to the OS. Uh, but there are certain use cases for folks where Chrome 
supports stuff like video streaming and authentication a lot better. Um, so again, there's a good chance you've already got one of those other browsers. And so, you know, maybe continue using that. <laughs> uh, if you are on iOS or iPad OS, your browser choices are merely an illusion. And Safari's WebKit implementation is running the show regardless of what browser app you choose. So you are going to be vulnerable to this uh, kind of regardless of what browser you think you're using on those devices. Everything runs through Safari uh, in iOS and iPad OS. Turtles, turtles all the way down. <laughs> I have, I'm just curious, has Apple made any public statements about this thus far? Uh, yeah, so they, uh, so the, the fingerprint JS team reported this back to Apple in, uh, oh, so long ago, November 28th of 2021, simpler times. Um, and, uh, they just really never got a response from Apple at all. So they made this public on January 14th, along with the safarileaks.com, uh, POC site that, that folks could, could go visit right now. Uh, and so within a couple of days of that, Apple released an impending fix to their developer channels. Uh, so this is going to be patched for users in, in the near term. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, <laughs> just that, that fun gap between when the information yep. was released and when it will be fixed. So something to be cognizant of, certainly. And Tim, I'm actually I'm curious to hear your thoughts after listening to Taylor wax poetic about this vulnerability. What would you rate this at? Well, you know, the rating that I had in mind kind of dropped a couple points when he mentioned that Apple's got a fix for this coming soon. And uh, I also agree with his assertion that, you know, in, in a lot of cases, folks are probably using Chrome or Firefox or something anyway. Um, I don't know. This feels like uh, kind of maybe four hoodies or so. Um, it's not a big stop everything and or your life is about to get bad kind of thing. I'll go with four. Excellent. Taylor, would you agree with Tim's thoughts there? I, I, yeah, I, I think overall it's pretty... If you are on Mac OS, it can be, you can work around it pretty easily. I guess where I get hung up on is that if you're, again, an iPad OS or an iOS user, there's really nothing you can do until Apple kind of comes down on high and releases a patch for us. Um, and so that to me is, makes it a little bit larger. Uh, and one thing I want to correct quickly is that if a site is using a, a UUID generator, uh, that actually does get blocked by, uh, by Safari's ad blocking stuff. So that that there you're protected there when um, you're if you're they're using a, a unique identifier that they create, uh, that is where Safari cannot really detect that and block that. Um, you know, for me, I'd probably put it at like five hoodies for now. Again, it's been around for a long time, so it, it's just <laughs> you know they're not really adhering to the spec when it comes to IndexedDB, and and you know that's that may be indicative of, of larger problems. Classic Taylor just had to one-up Tim. <laughs> <laughs> just because he did a poem last week, Taylor. I mean, sheesh. Yeah, you know, you got uh, maybe I'll do a haiku here at I some did, point. I didn't oh, realize God. the hoodie ratings were a competition. 
Everything <laughs> changed my entire ori orientation. It's 10 hoodies. It's 10. There are it's Price is Right rules. You have to be closest without going over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's right. You know, the, pro exactly. the problem here is, of course, we never find out whether our hoodie ratings were correct or not. We, we, uh, we, don't post, really we need a post-mortem hoodie episode. Yeah. yeah. Be like, it was too cold because Taylor or Tim didn't predict enough hoodies. <laughs> we can we can maybe get a voice actor on to do a better job of that, but you get you get the idea. You get the concept. I thought you nailed it. Thanks, <laughs> Taylor. Well, I think um, this is a good warm up. This is I mean, this is how I treat it. It's definitely a competitive warm up for two truths and a lie. I mean, just um, just trying to take as many points from both of you as I can. Um, <laughs> I'm expecting some, um, what's another word for talk back? <laughs> Where's the trash talk calling me I, you on know, my ego? For, for me, at least, I need to get close to the all on points to, to try and trash talk, which uh, I don't think we are now, and it's going to be a tough <laughs> slog in 2022. <laughs> Taylor is using humble talk. He has a, a unique unique strategy there. I don't think you're as far behind as you might think you are. All right, well, get ready for trash talk, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as a quick reminder for those tuning in for the first time or coming back and magically forgotten how this game works, um, we play a game called Two Truths and a Lie, but rather than talking about ourselves as one typically does in a traditional game of Two Truths and a Lie, instead, one of us lists three titles of articles, and two of which are, in fact, true, and one is not true and of course there's a whole scoreboard and the other two hosts um, that are not providing the titles will be making their best guesstimate on which of the titles is in fact a lie so are you two ready ready as all to be exactly i was about to say the same thing i mean <laughs> I, i'm never ready for this but uh lay it on us <laughs> all right here we go article number one Microsoft excels at course on macroeconomics by disabling macros. Article number two, Beijing Olympics app medals and keeping the man out of the middle. And article number three, cyber criminals out for blood, Red Cross. <laughs> what the, I'm like, I'm worried about myself on Fridays. I'm like trying to read what I wrote. Sorry, guys. I'm just going for the psychology. I'm the psychology. Think, well, would, what does this would mean? She, would she trip up more <laughs> over the lie or over a truth? Huh? <laughs> I was going to say a lot about me. Article number three. Cyber criminals out for blood. Red Cross suffers cyber attack. All right. There you go. <laughs> All right. It's got, I, that first one has to be a lie. Remember what I said earlier about the InfoSec crowd is the crowd that says if it sounds too good to be true, it it isn't true. I'm with I'm with Tay Tay. I think, you know, that sounds too good to be true. Well, you're both wrong. What? Yep. <laughs> oh Microsoft is going to disable macros on um let me check the exact version here i just googled <laughs> on, microsoft that was an extremely on excel helpful 7.0 <laughs> <laughs> yes they did in fact 
start disabling the macros for their uh, disabling Excel 4.0 macros by default here moving forward. So it might've been a little bit, a little bit cheeky on my part, mm. but yes, they are doing that proactively now. That's kind of amazing. I mean, even though, you know, I mean, at this point, look, if I fall some more points behind you, uh, Kelsey, it, it's sort of, I mean, it just, it's another drop in the bucket. <laughs> uh, so I'm really happy that, um, that that's actually happening. So yeah, that's kind of a win-win. Silver lining here to getting, you know, aced once again in Two Truths and a Lie. <laughs> well, I'm always lie? glad to, when I saw that article title, I was like, this is this is my victory right here. Nobody will ever believe well, yeah, this. Yeah, that article title I thought was written by it was so many puns. Like, well, it's got to be one she made up. Oh, I always make because <laughs> a this I, is good news and b there's a million puns in it. It's the incredible. lie was the second one because I saw that right because I saw the it. article about the uh, Red Cross thing. Unfortunately, that is true. So you're correct. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. I never said which one was the lie. Yeah, the unfortunately a Beijing Olympics app. app was it did suffer a man in the middle attack so that's they, they did not meddle in that but taylor on <laughs> um I, I hesitate to say this but i do take the article titles that i see and i make them my own because gotcha. otherwise people could just they could just google it um and so i want to no never challenge folks I, I assume good mean, faith like, on, on all the participants. Time while we're hearing it? Yeah. Well, oh, well, that, not, not you two, but other people uh, that are okay. listening in. Uh, <laughs> that would be the ultimate betrayal. <laughs> so, yeah, I do like that's that's another um, important part of my choosing of the articles. What kind of pun I could come up with. Totally. Which, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Perhaps I revealed too much. But... <laughs> So that's that's it. There you go. That's our game for the week. My goodness, another breaking badness almost in the books. Indeed. Indeed. And so we will have another episode next week that you can can hear us on here. We'll come back in your ears. The the crew on it will be Wednesday, the second of February. We'll be a month into twenty twenty two. How crazy is that? And, uh, you know, should we say, please subscribe and mash on that like button and tell all your friends. Oh, this yeah. Is where, we do, where we do that. Yes, and we do send, that. Write a review. <laughs> That's right. Give we us love five hoodies. I mean, stars. You can tell, tell people to come listen to me Apple. get hoodwinked week after week. <laughs> and, and me. <laughs> Wait, I have to say something. Our next podcast episode will come out on 2020. Two. That's a lot of twos. That's the most twos that you could possibly have. No, the twenty second. So that's yeah, not two, completely two, twenty two. Two two twenty two. Four twos. Mm. It's yeah, a couple hundred years. It is fortuitous. <laughs> and you know, if you do your dates the other way around, it's still two 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 two. I on mean, if you don't day, insist on putting the zeros in there. Yeah, on this day, no one will be confused when discussing dates. <laughs> It's I don't think that's happened day. since uh, one, one, one eleven. You're right. We should celebrate. <laughs> and it's not going to happen again for, let's see, another 11 years and change. Yeah. Huh. It's funny how that works. <laughs> Math is hard. What's the proper way to celebrate the number two? Uh, what's, what card game? There must be some card game where having, a, having the deuce is like is the whole goal of it. 
I don't know very many card games, but that would be mm. the way to celebrate. <laughs> and if there isn't one like that, then uh, then we should invent it. We'll call it the two 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 game. Invented on two two twenty two. Right. Twenty two. We'll bring it all together. Twenty twos. <laughs> Well, hopefully by the day of celebration, we can we can discern the right way to do so. Uh, but per usual, thank you both for your time and your thoughts on the podcast and looking forward to having another podcast out for all of you on 2222. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye now. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.